Well, let's pray, and we'll go to Revelation chapter 3, verse 7 to 11. Lord, I thank you for this passage today that you'll use to speak to our lives. We just praise you for your presence in our midst, and uh, we ask that you change us, Lord. Help us to come out better today than we came in. In Jesus' name. And let's read through uh, verses 7 through 11. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it, for you have a little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. Because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have that no one may take your crown. All right, well, we're talking about the crown today. How many of you know you have a crown that's reserved for you, but even now there's something? In, uh, the, when, he, when Jesus spoke to Smyrna in Revelation 2.10, I'm sorry, my, my tongue's getting twisted. The Lord said to Smyrna, Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. So, when we talk about a crown and holding on to what you have and let no one taking your crown, we're talking about life. We're talking about the Lord is for us, not against us. He's bringing us into his royal kingdom, and the Lord is all about life. We are a life organization as the body of Jesus Christ. And that's why he's giving messages to the seven churches. He wants to see life. He doesn't want to see death. And while this Philadelphian church is one of the rare ones that doesn't get a correction, he still is bringing forth a message so that they wouldn't just be complacent because you have to hold on to your crown. Why do you have to hold on to your crown if nothing's wrong? Well, because we are in a battle out there. We are in a place where there's troubles, there's thieves, spiritual enemies, things, distractions that want to take you off of who you are. And faith in Jesus leads to life. And that life becomes crowned at the end. But right now even, you can reign in life through one, Jesus Christ. Romans 5.17 says how much more those who have been given the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through one, Jesus Christ. There it is, the life again. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, you have eternal life, you have an abundance of grace, and yet most of the time we go through life, we go through our days with skin of our teeth grace. I just made it. Or the Lord just got me out of that one. Or I barely make, I'm surviving, I'm holding on, sweet Jesus, till he comes but we've been given the abundance of grace, and it's not just an acceptance and a tolerance of you, but it's a recreation of you, making you a new identity, a royal figure who can reign in life through one, Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean that you don't go through troubles, 
but it does mean that perhaps troubles don't have to go through you. So why does it seem that we don't reign in life? Why does it seem like we don't walk in an abundance of grace and that it's barely skin of our teeth grace that, that we're getting by with? And the reason I believe we can learn today through this verse and specifically hold fast to what you have and let no one take your crown. The reason we don't have it sometimes in our experiences is because we have to have two, two things set in place. We have to know what we have, know who we are, and we have to hold fast to it. Hold fast. What does that mean? It means grab hold of it fast? No, that's old uh, English terminology that means just hold on tightly because these things can slip from us. And so you need to know who you are. You are not just a, a slovenly sinner saved by grace anymore. You were a slovenly sinner saved by grace, but now he's changed you, made you a saint. There is still sin that needs to be dealt with and you need to turn away from, but that's not who you are. Your identity is a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new and you have to hold on to what you have. What do you have? You have salvation. You have righteousness by faith. You have a clean past. It doesn't matter what your past was, the blood of Jesus. There is a fountain filled with blood. Cleans all our guilty stains. Everything past is gone. You have to remember you've got the, the angelic realms of heaven rooting for you. You've got angels assigned to you, ministers of the Lord. You've got the blessings, every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And so we often forget these things. We know them maybe in our in our minds, but we don't hold on to them in our hearts. We don't hold fast to them, and that's the crown we want to hold on to. We, we don't want to uh, give in to the distractions and the substitutes that are out there, but we want to remember who we are, what we have. We want to remember to be walking in faith, and where it's an exercise of walking in the abundance of grace and not just, this is what I believe, and I'm just going to believe it while I have to deal with things on my own. I'm going to remember that God has given us something. He's given me his ever-present help in times of need. He's a, a refuge in the time of trouble. And how often I need to remind myself of that. And if you're like me, you probably need to be reminded of it too because it's just that we get into life and life gets us. You know, we have to concentrate on things. We have our responsibilities and our, our things we have to tend to. And sometimes we just... Don't hold fast to what we have. But we still have it. And so today we're looking at the encouragement from Jesus to this church and to us to hold fast. To not, and that means don't be complacent. Sometimes you can get complacent, which means to be uh, just resting, not on guard, be at peace and happy. And that's a good, good feeling to have, but you can't be like that when... There's so much at stake out there, and there's so much that we have to battle against in this world. But we're not alone, and we don't want to be complacent thinking, well, everything's the way it is. Even in times of trouble, you can be complacent in that sense, where you just say, well, it is what it is. No, it's not what it is. That's what it is in the natural, but it might not be what it is in the supernatural. It might be that there is help laid up for us. There are doors being opened for us, and doors being shut on our behalf, and we have to learn how to receive it and hold fast to that instead of what we're holding fast to with our natural uh, sight and what we're sensing. So we're getting encouragement today, not correction. 
Sometimes you need correction. Sometimes you need to be encouraged not to be complacent. So the first thing we want to do is consider who it is that is our encouragement. And he tells us in uh, the verse, he says, It is he that is holy, verse 7, he that is holy, he that is true, he that has the key of David, he that opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. So the one who we are aligned with, the one who is encouraging us, is holy and true. First, he's holy. And you remember, we talked about holiness a while back, but what does holy mean? It means set apart. I mean, not just set apart like I'm going to set apart this plant and put it over here. That, that is a setting apart. But when we talk about the Holy One of Israel, set apart, it means there's none like him. There's none like God. Just like David, when he was offered Goliath's sword, he looked at the sword and said, there's none like it, I'll take it. You know, we've got a holy Jesus who has condescended to allow us into his yoke, allow us into his union, to be in his status, to be in his place. We're not taking him into our place. He's lifting us up into his place, and he wants us to be holy too, set apart unto him. So where, to where we say, there's none for me but him. There's none for us but Jesus. And Jesus is holy. He's greater than all the lesser gods that are out there. You can look at other religions out there, how they're in bondage, how they're bowing to idols, and how they're offering fruits and incense to, to little porcelain statues. Or, you know, in China, that at Easter time, they, they clean the tombs of their ancestors, and they offer fake money. They burn fake money uh, onto the tombs and they put fruits and candies and stuff, all for worship of someone who's not around anymore and uh, is in the grave. Those are lesser things and they're, they're not in the way of true. Jesus is not just holy, but he is true, he says. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And all these lesser gods are not of the truth and they're, they're futile to be serving and we are aligned with one who's not only was in the grave, but he's alive, and not only is he alive, but he's coming back, and even before he comes back, he's, he offers to come in if you receive him by faith, if you say, I'm, I'm done with me, I want you, Lord, and he comes in, and he is the one who is holy and true, so that's who is encouraging us, he's the one who's holy and true, and we are aligned with him, we are not aligned with the common and the false, that's the uh, opposite of holy and true, common and false. And so many people out there are drawn to the common and the false. But we want to be on guard. We want to hold fast what we have so that we don't get drawn because we too can be drawn to the common and false because there is deception out there and there is the natural and sometimes it's easier to look at those things and say, well, yeah, every, everybody else is about this. It's common. So why not me? But we want to be set apart and to enjoy that life, because when we get ourselves in that position, we are in the position of reigning in life through one, Jesus Christ. Now, the other happy encouragement is not only is he holy and true, but he has the key of David. And the key of David is a term that means that he has royal authority, not only royal authority, but absolute authority as the highest authority. In Isaiah chapter 22, I didn't put the passage up there, but 
in Hezekiah's palace, there was a man named Eliakim, and Hezekiah was said to give him the key of David, which gave him the opportunity. He was just a treasurer in the palace, but he was given the key of David, and then he had all the authority of the king after receiving the key of David. So we have one who has all the authority, the highest in the, in the universe, and he is for us, not against us, and he opens doors for us and shuts doors for us. And this is an encouragement to understand, and that can help us even, I think, as we're trying to watch this church grow and things like that. It's the, the Lord that opens the doors. And, you know, he has the key to what will make it work. Have you ever tried to open a big locked door but you had no key it's not easy is it you know a little key can change everything a little key can move a big door and we're not without the key if we're holding on to jesus he is the key who has the key who uses the key for you and me <laughs> say it with me now um, but you try to open a door that's shut a locked door it's not it's not easy and it's not something we ought to be trying to push if if the Lord's not behind it, the Lord's not doing it. So there's a real comfort in knowing that he's got the key, that he can open doors that no man can shut and close doors that no man can open. I've got an, a, a shut door and an open door story from China. One was a shut door. Uh, we came back on a furlough once, and I was excited. I had this, this job offered to me at a local university. I thought, wow, I can... I can work with the students there and everything, and we were home for the summer, and I received a letter from the university while we were home saying, oh, sorry, uh, we decided we cannot hire you. We are going to hire somebody else. And I had been going around telling everybody, you know, this is what we're going to do next, and boom. It just, that's the way it always happens. It just changes on us. And, and I wasn't very happy about that, and I had to get over it, go, get, go through my pity party and everything. And, <laughs> And finally, uh, well, you know, I just, we moved on. We got something else going, and it was good. And over time, when we were back in China, we had a little small church gathering of missionaries. We just got together, and one of the missionaries there was one who took my job. <laughs> and, and she was an older lady, sweet lady uh, named Janet. And she, every week at prayer time, we'd say, what do you want to pray for? And she'd say, oh, they're doing this to me at the school. And, oh, they... They broke into my room, went through my things, and she was just constantly telling us how wrong the, the school was treating her. She wasn't complaining. I'm not saying anything bad about her. I'm just saying that she gave us the fill-in of what was going on at that school, and I was sure thankful and glad that that door had shut for me. <laughs> and then I finally got a chance to go to a, a rural area that we we were looking at, thought, we can get out of the big city, and this can really be exciting for the Lord. We got an inroad to this other school in this rural, remote area. And uh, so we were excited about that, preparing for that. And I gave a Bible to a neighbor of mine in the city. And I found out, after I gave him this Bible, that he knew the president of the school that had invited us. And when I found out that he knew the president, I started worrying. I thought, oh, no, what if word gets out to that president that I gave him a Bible? And then he starts to think I'm a missionary. And, and then I started to get all panicked and nervous, like, I'm, I, I hope I didn't blow it and that, that this job's going to leave like the other one did. And, and uh, it really had me in a kind of a, an anxiety for a little bit. And then I got together with some other believers, and we were praying, and I, I shared things 
I shared about, I was kind of nervous. I wasn't going to get this, this position. And uh, a brother opened up this very passage, and he said, this is for you. The Lord opens doors that no man can shut, shuts doors that no man can open. Relax. And it really comforted me. And that's what I'm saying. It can really comfort us if we just don't try to make things happen and also don't feel like, oh, I blew it. I, it was my stupidity that, that blew this. You know, if the Lord is in it and he wants to open it up, it's going to happen and no one can shut it, not even your own foolish mistake or stupidity. And it wasn't foolish or stupid to give the guy a Bible. But the devil just comes in and says, oh, now you did it. And that's the way it usually goes. And, and I could have remembered what I was going to preach today to hold fast to what I have and say, no, I'm not letting you take my crown of joy here. I'm not going to give in to that. What good would it do anyway? But I wasn't smart enough back then. I needed to hear this, and it wasn't being preached until today anyway. So, <laughs> so. <laughs> so it's a great comfort. He's the one. He has the authority. And I thought about, too, isn't it a good thing to know the one who has the highest authority is holy and true? Who has the authority in this world? Those who are corrupt and, and liars and things. Well, we don't want to talk about that. But Jesus is holy and true. And so think of being under the rule of one who has all authority. And he's holy. He's true. There's nothing that you can point to and say that's a foul. Jesus is perfect. And he is the one whose kingdom shall reign. And he wants us to be a part of it. And so he corrects us, encourages us, and opens doors. So how do we get these open doors? Well, uh, verse 8, he says, By keeping his word, not denying his name. For you have a little strength and have kept my word and have not denied my name. So what is keeping God's word? Keeping God's word does not mean that you keep a Bible on your shelf. That is a sense of keeping God's word. But the, what they're talking about here is the sense of guarding watching the word so we think of keeping the word and there's obedience is involved in that but it's also involved is treasuring that word guarding it watching over it making sure that it's it's what you're keeping you're keeping that and not the worries that are coming in you're not holding on to those you're holding on to the word you're holding on to the promises you're not holding on to what things look like you're watching that you walk in the way of the word and not allowing some, something to distract or steal and take you off course. It's keeping the word. And also, not denying his name. When you keep the word, you're going to side with the word and not side with the popular opinion. You're not going to side with uh, the herds and the common and the false that are saying one thing and making it look normal and popular. You, you hold the word, you do not deny his name, you stand for what is righteous and good. You stand for the truth. And that's a hard thing to do today, right? But you have to know the word in order to stand for the truth. And some people don't keep the word because they don't even know the word. So here's a, an encouragement from him who is holy and true that we should keep the word. We ought to know the word. Like John Wesley said, we ought to be people of one book. That's the Bible. Doesn't mean you can't read other books. It means that that's the one that just just uh, flows through you. The Puritans said that if they pricked me, I should bleed the Bible. I should be bleeding the Bible. But I wonder if we got pricked, what would bleed out of us? People magazine or the sports scores or 
you know, what is it that, what's really dominating in our thoughts and our hearts and our attentions and things? What ought to bleed out of us? Well, it ought to be the word. We ought to be so full of the word that if a mosquito bit us, he'd fly away singing, there's power in the blood. <laughs> uh, we got to get that one up there. Um, well, let's put it the way David said it. He kept the word in Psalm 119.11. It said, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. When you keep the word, you're not going to sin. And I've said before, someone said, sin will keep you away from this book, but this book will keep you away from sin. But it's the book inside us, keeping that word, treasuring it, guarding over it, watching it. And then we'll make the stand that we need because we also have the word that says we'll be covered, we'll be provided for, and God will honor us and take care of us. And that's what, uh, that's what he says basically in the next verse, in verse 9. He said, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. And later he says, because you have kept my command to persevere, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that's coming. So there's what I'm saying is the provision is that he's going to turn things around because we're keeping his word. It's not that we earn anything. But it's just that we honor his word, he honors us, and he shows us that he'll come through when we do honor his word. We're not earning anything from him. He loves us, but part of it is that he uses his word to work with us. His word is like the two-edged sword that we, we see in Hebrews 4.12. It is a cutting. It's a tool that's used to convict us, yes, but it also to take out and cut down uh, the opposition, the spiritual enemies that come before us and try to ruin us. And spiritual enemies work through real people. As we see here, they were calling them themselves Jews, but they were lying. So Jesus called them the synagogue of Satan. So the important thing here is what is Jesus calling us? It's not what we call ourselves. It's not what we label ourselves or what others label themselves. It's what does Jesus say about it? And again, it's like it's not my opinion about some of the controversial issues of the day, homosexuality, abortion, and things like that. It's not what I think that counts. It's what... The word says. It's what Jesus says. Here he was saying that these aren't true Jews. These were a synagogue of Satan. There was something of falsehood in them. And again, we, we saw this in another church that he corrected. But the idea is that we should be consistent in our profession. If we profess that we are walking with him, we ought to so walk with him. But here's what I, I get from this is that they were... Obviously, this church probably was having some kind of trouble from these so-called Jews. Again, this isn't against Jews. It's not being anti-Semitic. It's saying that there was hypocrisy here. They were lying. And Paul said in Romans that a true Jew is one who is, is not just in the flesh, but in their heart as well. Um, but they were lying, and obviously they were troubling them to some extent that the Lord said that you are going to see them come and worship before your feet. It doesn't mean they were going to worship the Philadelphians. I don't think he would have that. I think it means they were going to do homage or they were going to worship God before. Something was going to change and they were going to be vindicated. And that's a comforting word for us who keep his word, that we will be vindicated. If you're suffering wrong, if you're suffering harm from others, if you're getting a bad shake, a bad deal, what do you do? Well, I'll show them a thing or something. Right? No. 
no, well, that's the natural way to do it. And uh, even I, I know Christians do that when we ought to be letting the Lord take care of us and vindicate us. Let's look at this passage from Romans 12, verse 17 to 21. Talk about vindication. And Paul wrote that you repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will help or you will heap coal to fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. See, this is just the point that I'm talking about. If you know this word, this is a word that you have to keep when you get offended or insulted or wrongly treated. And this is actually an opportunity to see the Lord come through. I remember when I was working somewhere and this this lady kept giving me a hard time, kept insulting me and things like that. And, of course, I was getting riled up and angry and wanting to fire back and stuff. But I, holding on to this word, I just said, no, the Lord will take care of it. And, uh, she, you know, eventually when I was being nice to her, she was getting baffled and then she laid off. No big deal there. But I heard a story of a Vietnam veteran who wouldn't sin with the other soldiers and they heaped abuse on him. And he just dealt with it. He didn't retaliate or anything. And eventually he got promoted and they ended up calling him sir. So you will be vindicated. Look at the story of Haman in the book of Esther. Haman was building the gallows to hang Mordecai on. And who got hung on it? It was Haman. Joseph's a great example. Joseph was sold into slavery by his own brothers. He was falsely accused of adultery. He was thrown in jail. He was forgotten in jail for several years. That'd be a good time to want to grumble and complain. And yet, the, the jailer said, why do you look down today? You, you know, and uh, why would a jailer ask that of someone if it was outside of the norm? You know, why? he's in prison. Of course he's going to look down. But uh, apparently, he kept a good countenance most of the time. And why do you look down today? So Joseph was most of the time holding on to the word. He was holding on to his dream that the Lord had given him, knowing that there was going to be vindication. And sure enough, Pharaoh at one point raised him up and gave him the key of David, which means not the, the literal key of David, but it means he gave him absolute authority in the land. He was only second to Pharaoh. And uh, God will come through. If he doesn't come through in this life, it will be vindicated in the life to come, but often it's in this life. We could, we could talk about David, who was getting stoned by an imp named Shimei. And uh, his David's uh, men said, you want us to take this guy out? And he says, no, the Lord, it may be the Lord that's bringing this up upon me, and he'll take care of it. And eventually David had the last word. So can you be patient when you're being mistreated? Can you hold this word? and guard it and treasure it. Treasure the promise that God will, will be your advocate. God will take the vengeance for you. He'll do a better job, and he'll bring, a, big, bring a, a bigger glory out of it than if we just went tit for tat. That's what walking in Christ looks like, I believe. So, verse 10. Because you have kept the word of my, my patience... And there, there it says the command to persevere. But the better translation, as it is in other translations, says the word of my patience. In other words, 
holding his word will require patience, and it will give us the patience because we have the knowledge of what's coming and what he will do. But he said that because you have kept my word, I also will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Now, this verse has quite often been taught as uh, this is what the tribulation, this is going to be the tribulation. There's going to be seven years of tribulation. The church is going to be raptured out of the tribulation. And uh, this was telling us that God will keep us. It doesn't make sense because I don't know how, how that works. If you, I mean, what I'm saying is if there is a tribulation, you can't get it from this verse. You get it from other verses that are more usable. But this verse cannot possibly mean a final seven years tribulation that the Lord's going to keep the church through. Why? Well, it's just, it's for the simple reason that why would he be making a promise to a church 2,000 years ago that he was going to keep them from something that was happening 2,000 later, 2,000 years later? In other words, I'm going to keep you from a trial that's coming 2,000 years after you're dead anyway. So that's not what this is talking about. This is not talking about seven years tribulation. And like I said, we don't need to go into what's happening in end times. There's a lot of different ideas. But if you're going to look at seven years tribulation, you have to get it from different passages. And you can. But it's not here. Now, what can we get from this here? And what was it that he was talking about? Well, that's the thing. Most commentators don't really know what, what this is alluding to at that time. But when it says dwelling on the earth, often... Uh, using a uh, hyperbole like that would refer to the Roman Empire or to the larger surrounding environment. So there was some trial that they were going to be dealing with, and the Lord was promising that he would keep them. And that doesn't mean that he's going to keep them from experiencing any troubles. Again, you, you will go through troubles, but in his keeping, the troubles don't have to go through you. You can be strong. You can have his comfort, his peace, his strength. And the same word for keeping there, he uses in John chapter 17, uh, where he says, John 17, 15, where he was praying, he said that, I pray not that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil. So again, it doesn't mean that you're not going through problems or evil or trials, but the keeping is like, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to take care of you. You're not going to be destroyed with this. You'll go through the troubles. The troubles won't go through you. I'm going to be the guard. And that's a comfort to us. What can we learn in our trials and our troubles? Sometimes we don't learn anything because we're just wringing our hands over stuff and pulling out our hair and saying, why, why, why? Oh, when, when, when is this going to be over? What we need is we need to go and go to the Lord and say, what am I supposed to be doing right now? What am I supposed to be learning from this? And holding on to what we have, letting no one take the crown of our peace, our joy, the promise that God is going to see us through and that all things work together for good to those who love God, according, who are called according to his purposes. So he keeps us. And the, and the issue with the, the saints in Philadelphia, it was going to be a great tribulation, whatever that meant. But great or small, the Lord will keep those who look to him. And so verse 11 says, hold fast what you have then. Don't let it slip. Hold fast. Don't let it slip. Hope is so easy to lose because it's so slippery. One thing after another hits you. When it rains, it pours. 
and it's easy to let it go, but you got to hold it fast. That's when you become diligent, deliberate, intent, that I'm not going to lose my hope. I'm going to hold fast what I have. And I have a crown, apparently, because it says, let no one take your crown. Whatever that means, if it's a crown that, that's set up for you, I believe even now, even as we sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, according to uh, Ephesians 2, 6, we have a sense that we can reign in life through one. We ought to be holding fast to our crown. And who wears a crown? The winner or the king or the one who's honored. How do you feel when, when you wear, if you've ever, how do you think it would feel wearing a crown, right? It's good to be the king. You know, who's been king for a day? Hey, I'll bet the kids have gone to Burger King and worn one of them crowns and been king for a day. Well, I did when I was a kid. It's good to put that crown. You feel pretty, pretty important. You feel pretty big. You know, no. Well, you got to try it sometime. But one of them crowns, you know. But that's just a paper crown. The crown that the Lord is offering is plush. It's full of jewels and gold and diamonds and things. And it's going to be so valuable. And yet, even the Lord's more valuable than that. We'll see elders throwing their crowns before his throne. It's incredible. But right now, we ought to see ourselves as holding on to that crown. And that's what happens when we're going through stuff. I mean, let no one take it from us. And I, I'll pray to it so much. And this ministered to me th just thinking about it. And I'm starting to get down, starting to feel like, oh, just keep... And I realize something, someone's trying to take my crown. Someone's trying to take me off of who I am in Christ. Someone's trying to take me off of who he is in me. And I don't want to let that happen. I'm going to hold on to my crown. I'm going to hold on and I'm going to go forward knowing that he opens the doors and he shuts the doors. It's his work. I don't have to make things happen. He'll make them happen. I just have to be faithful I can knock on doors, but I can't push them and get them open by my strength. I can knock on them. I can try to get my foot in, and if he wants it, he'll open it. But the point is, is that I don't want to get down, depressed, darkened, because I've let the enemy steal away from me my crown or, or what I have in Jesus Christ. And that's why I get to the Word every day. I have to remind myself. When we come to church, we remind ourselves. And there's some overcoming to do. And so we close with uh, the Lord's Him that overcomes. Him that overcomes, verse 12. I'll make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. Um, I will write on him the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So, he's going to make us pillars. And Philadelphia was an area that was known to be racked by earthquakes. So, it was a place that was always shaken. And here, the Lord's using this imagery. I'm going to make you a pillar in which you're not going to be shaken. And pillars are usually standouts in the buildings. And pillars are stable. You don't go in or out anymore. It is talking about security stability, peace, rest, and honor being the one, the, the front of the building and the holding, the support. The Lord uses us and makes us strengthened and stable and secure and set and put in the most perfect place, the temple of God. And that's a figure of the temple. That is the Lord's spiritual sanctuary, haven, glory, glory house, because in the New Jerusalem it says there is no temple, but it's, it's the people of God.
and you can be given the pillar standing in that place. And there's no more instability and being rocked to and fro by the world. And man, it's, it's something. We get shaken all the time. It's like a roller coaster ride. But Hebrews 12:28 says that we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And this promise says that you will no longer be shaken. You will be a pillar. There's no more of this being tossed about. And that's something to be hopeful for and to look for. And, uh, and it can even help us through the ride right now. You've been on roller coasters before. Well, life is the roller coaster, right? But now, you know, as we're going on the ups and downs, let's hold on to our crown because that's where it falls off when you're going up and down like that. Well, hold on now. And then, you know, uh, once it finally comes in, it's, it was a fun ride because you knew you were safe. You had the safety belt on. And the Lord is our safety belt. We're holding on. We're safe, but we don't want to lose. Our, our crown isn't safe. We want to hold on to it, remembering and holding these things and knowing who we are. And then when we finally get to the end and we come into the roller coaster station, there's always a sense of peace, relief. And uh, some people get sick and say, <laughs> but, but most of us will just be happy to be home and and that's what we're talking about. When, when we get through it all, it'll be like, what a ride this was. And the Lord has now given us where we're not going to be thrown up and down, moved in and out, but we're pillars in the temple of God. And he writes his name on us. And I really don't know, but he just marks us with him. We are, uh, we are belonging to the divine. We are belonging to the greatest, the ultimate. Again, it's who we're aligned with. And there's, I'm sure there's more that I just didn't catch, but I did catch something about Jesus saying, I will write on him my new name. You know, where are some of the names of Jesus? Redeemer, Emmanuel, Wonderful, Counselor. He's known as the Son of Man, Son of God. All these names that identify him and, and tell us something about him. But what, what we see here is that he's going to write a new name. There's more to discover. There's more wonders about Jesus Christ than we know. There's more that we can't, there's, there's more that we can know here that we'll have to learn through the ages to come, but he's going to reveal something new about himself, and I'm sure that's not going to be the end of it. His love is inexhaustible. His person is inexhaustible. Who he is, who is this Savior? Hallelujah, what a Savior we say. Who is this Jesus? We're only tasting a little bit now and we can get further we can get deeper into it and that's the point of our discipleship we grow to know him more and as we grow we know and we go we, we want to serve him and do his will but it's just a continual process of uh, holding on to what we have and part of that is discovering more and more who he is and that'll be something to look forward to in the age to come. We get to see even more and understand more. And that's a high privilege, and it's a high blessing. And right now, we can take that with us to encourage us to not be complacent. Maybe you need correction, like some of the churches are getting corrected. That's okay. It's good. That gets you into a better spot. But maybe you're doing good. You need to not be complacent. He wants to get us into a better spot. We want to be uh, equipped to hold fast to what we have, and, uh, and he will keep us all the way through. So how do we close? We say, Lord, you are glorious. You are 
majestic and you have given us something of your glory and majesty. Help us to live in it, to hold it fast, to remember who we are and to rebuke the enemy, to rebuke the trials that want to steal what you've put inside us and help us, Lord, to discover more and more even before that day who you are and what we have, that we may glorify you and serve you in effectiveness in Jesus' name. Amen.